This podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. If you like what you hear, check out THN at Patreon or click the donate button at TwoHeadedNerd.com and show your support. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 592 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I'm head number one around here, and my name is Matt Bomb. I mean, I don't know who decided that, but... Whoever goes I first guess. gets to call himself number one. Oh, all right, all right. So yeah. it's interchangeable. Yeah, you were number one last time, remember? That's fine, that's yeah. fine. I'll accept it. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick, and you're head number two. Today on the show, we're reviewing a stack of new comics from Wednesdays, September 30th and October 7th. I'm pretty sure I snuck one in from September 23rd in there. Did you really? Oh, I didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, the comic pushers are back with some James Tiny Onion the Four reading suggestions. But first... It's time to ruin the condition of some new comics because, damn it, it's review time in the Ziggurat! This week's pile is full of outlaw kid heroes, magic S-words, and vampires, and Ronin from America, amongst other stuff and things. Matt, why don't you kick it off? My first review is of Wonder Woman, 1984. You may remember this movie that was supposed to come out, but now we may never. Get I think to see it came it. out in February. Yeah, <laughs> I remember. It? It. I remember really liking it. Was it good? God, I don't even remember. This is a one. Yeah, Kristen Wiig was amazing <laughs> as Cheetah. It's a one shot from DC. Your creative team had a couple people working on it because there were two stories. The first story was written by Anna Abropta and Louise Simonson with art by Brett Blevins. And the second story was written by Steve Pugh with art by Marguerite Savage. It's like they did a random Zoom call and that's who answered. And there is your creative team. So <laughs> Yeah, it's whoever's Wi-Fi hadn't crapped out at the time. In the first story, Diana is giving museum tour to three plucky kids that helped disrupt a robbery by the gang that couldn't plan good. The kids help <laughs> Wonder Woman and learn that some adults can be trusted. And the second story sees Wonder Woman and Steve Trainer investigating homeless kids that are planning to take over the stock market by dumpster diving. Oh, I said Steve Trainer. Sorry. Yeah, Steve Trainer is who's Steve uh, Trainer? Somebody else. I recognize that name for some reason. I don't know. Uh, Larry Trainer is negative man. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So that might be what you're thinking of. Pardon me. Steve Trevor. The kids are looking to take over the stock market by dumpster diving and listening in on brokers, conversations, and coffee shops in an attempt to avenge their middle-class parents. I'm not making that up. The solicit (laughs) for this title says, quote, in these tales that tie in to the upcoming Warner Brothers movie, Unquote, which would be quite a stretch unless you count the fact that both stories do in fact take place in 1984. Other than that, the first story is just bad. It's terrible kid dialogue, bad plotting. There's even a scene where the kids are charging men with guns while holding museum artifact weapons and terrible art by Blevins. It is bad. Salvage's art is great on the second story, but the premise of homeless stockbroker kids was just stupid. This had nothing to do with the upcoming movie, and it seems to be a cash grab based on the title alone. This is 
the one of the biggest leavits I've given in a long time. This was garbage. Yeah, it's really bad. Uh, you know, the the first story is just the worst. It's it's oh my god! It it's full of characters making like the kids. The kids in the museum. The museum is under attack by bank robbers, regardless of the fact that the bank robbers are are the by the the thieves are idiots. They're not bank robbers. They're museum robbers. Right. The the thieves are broad idiots. daylight museum robbers. By the way, that's the way you do it. You come yeah, in broad right, yeah, daylight you know, with a crowd. Uh, <laughs> regardless, the kids. One kid in particular, the girl with the attitude. Good lord, is like screw the adults. I'm gonna pick up this ancient sword right and fight off a gang of of, right. of museum and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna run at a guy with a submachine gun because i know that he's out of bullets i heard it go click what if he's yeah. got another fucking clip like come on right. you really think they showed up with one clip of ammunition <laughs> like, it's like I, I thought the second story was better but again the plot makes no sense right. with the whole kids trying to corner of the stock market it was too clever yes it was just too clever the, and cute this was a bad comic book by people that i know have more talent than this yeah this was bad um i'm giving this a leave it as well it is definitely a like if somebody said i want to see the new wonder woman movie i don't know anything about it and you gave them this comic book right they would not go to the movie no absolutely not there is nothing about this that like leads in to Wonder Woman 1984. Nothing. Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. nothing. No, it's a huge leave. It. All right. Here's where we find out if my uh, speech to text translations worked out because I couldn't <laughs> type it one handed. Uh, my first review is of X of Swords. I'm sorry. It's Ten of Swords colon Creation number one from Marvel Comics. Uh, I legitimately don't even know where to begin with this comic book. Some parts of it I understood, like the impending war between Krakoa and Arako and the gladiator tournament with the swords. Uh, but then there are other things like all of the shit with the tarot cards and the secret history of these two sentient islands and their connection with Otherworld and Saturnine and all. And what any of it at all has to do with the X-Men. It's almost too much for my mind to bear. But I guess that's what you get when you hire Jonathan Hickman to revamp one of your major franchises. It happened with, with the Avengers. It happened with the Fantastic Four to a lesser extent. And now it's happening here. Uh, I feel bad. I wish I could say that I'm loving it as much as I want to be, but I'm not. Now, don't get me wrong. I do love a lot of the overall concept of the X-Men relaunch and what's going on in some of the individual books. Uh, but this, this is just a little too much for me. I will say this, uh, this book does really ramp up the stakes for the other X-Men titles and what it means to live and die in their world, especially when they are not in their world. Uh, this issue does a great job pulling together a lot of Hickman's various threads going all the way back to Hawks and Pox. The art by Pepe Larraz is breathtaking. Uh, he is one of the greatest new artists of this generation. He's a perfect fit for the X-Men's world. I can't understand for the life of me why he is not one of the new young guns or whatever the fuck they're calling them now. I hope they're still not using that. God. No, I think they're called the Stormbreakers now. We'll talk about it on Saturday. What? <laughs> Yeah, don't even God. get me started. I, 
This issue ends with a great return of a classic X-Men concept that I'm excited to see followed up on in future titles. We did touch on it a little bit during cover to cover last week. Uh, but when all is said and done, it took the much more straightforward writing of the subsequent installments in uh, week two and three for me to really get a handle on what's actually happening in this event. Uh, Ten of Swords creation it's a beautifully written, beautifully drawn comic that is also willfully obtuse. <laughs> Smarter readers than I may really love it. I'm giving it a strong skim it because by the time I got done, my eyes glossed over. They rolled all the way back into my head and stared at the back of my brain. And I like blacked out for six hours. I cannot disagree with you more. And I, I will say that I think this is some of the most straight-ahead writing we've had from Hickman as far as spelling everything out. This is exactly what I was building. This is where it came from. This is the battle that is waging. This is the stakes that are at hand. This is a prophecy that these people knew were going to happen. And they read the tarot cards, which are magic, which they've established. Magic is a major part of the story in Excalibur yep, and stuff like it. that. Tarot taps into that same magic. She had the same exact reading. I, I feel like this was all completely more spelled out than anything he did in the Avengers of the Fantastic Four. And now, I, I will, loved it. I will say that I, I, I admitted to Matt when we touched on it earlier in our text conversations that in order to read this comic book, I had to read like 20 straight issues of X-Men titles to get caught up from the pandemic. You know, I, and I haven't read everything. I've stayed very current on Oh, I read it all. I've stayed very current on um, Excalibur, Marauders, and X-Force. I've really been enjoying. But I thought this came together so friggin' well. And the character development for Apocalypse here was stunning. Just blew me away. I loved this. I'm so excited. I was not excited when they gave us this whole, there's going to be 10 swords and it's going to be, I was like, what are we fucking doing? <laughs> but yeah, and it's, and it, it's 22 chapters. Oh my God. It's 22 chapters, but it runs through the monthly books. They're not doing specials and stuff. This is running through the X story. I mean, there are specials, but yeah, of course there will be, but the major parts are running through the X books. I loved this. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I love the direction that Hickman is taking. I love that he took these concepts and didn't pound them into the X-Men, but used them to further the origin. I'm trying not to spoil anything, but to further the origin of a character that we never really had a great origin for. We just never really did. And now we know where he came from. We know what happened. We know why the, that character is who they are. And I loved it. Buy it. Absolutely buy it. I was just exhausted when it was over. Oh, I immediately texted you and was like, wow, that <laughs> blew me away. <laughs> My next review is of Shang-Chi. It's written by Jean Luen Yang with art by Dyke Ruan and Philip Tan. Marvel gives Luen Yang the keys to Shang-Chi and he whips up a whole new origin. And the new origin is much less stereotypically racist than his old evil father figure, Fu Manchu. See the history of that name to see what I mean. 
In five pages, the creators reset Chang's origin and inject some new elements that play out really well later on in the main story. Shang is laying low. He's working at Grandma Wang's bakery in San Francisco. They mention his background in the Avengers. So it's obviously the same character. Just updated some, but some old friends show up and new family members too. No spoilers. Marvel made a choice to give this title to an all-Asian creative team, and they do a really great job making it feel authentic, right down to the translated English. If you translate Chinese directly to English, it does come off very stiff and proper-sounding, and Shang-Chi actually makes a joke about that to someone he's talking to. Tan is masterful on the flashback, and Dyke, who I think is a newcomer, right? I don't, I've never seen this name before. I don't recognize the name, though. He matches him on the modern day story. I really like the addition of the new origin stuff and where it's taking the story. This is easily the best Shang-Chi stuff I've read in a very long time. I'm giving this a buy it. Had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, you know, I softened on it uh, over time. I, I read it at first and I thought it read kind of awkwardly. And you said, I think it's because they translated it from Chinese. I don't think that's true. I think Gene Luen Yang wrote it in English. No, I'm not saying they I think translated that's just his it in writing Chinese. style. I think they were writing it. So the people that were speaking sure. were speaking very yeah, proper yeah. Chinese uh, and it was seemed translated. Um, I, I did really love the the line where uh, his lady friend is like, why are you talking like a fortune cookie or whatever? He says that to her. She, he's like, yeah, well, he says like, I, I, I don't know if he says it out loud or if he thinks it, but it's basically like people tend to look past him when he speaks normally. Yeah. And when he speaks like Confucius, they pay attention. Right. Which I thought was a nice touch. Um, the Fu Manchu stuff, they kind of undid that a long time ago yeah. uh, in the late 90s. Um, he made some appearances in uh, uh, X-Men uh, during, I think it was like the Joe Kelly era. Fu Manchu did? Uh, Shang-Chi did. Oh, yeah, Shang-Chi did. That's right. Yeah, and they, they retconned the fact that his father is not Fu Manchu anymore because Fu Manchu is a trademarked character. He's... Um, I mean, aside from it being a racist caricature, uh, he's um, Sax Romer or whatever, whoever owns the Destroyer. Oh, right. Remo Williams. Right. Like Fu Manchu is, is a licensed character. Right. Uh, just like Rom was in the in the 70s. So when they created Shang-Chi in the 70s, they're like, yeah, his dad's Fu Manchu. They didn't try and sell us on the fact that the Mandarin was his dad for a while, did they? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think they made up. A, I think they create. They basically created a, a stand-in for Fu Manchu. Yeah, Chu Man Fu um, showed up. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think his name is Chu Man Fu. Um, so you know, I, at first I thought it was a little awkward, but as I thought about it over time, you know, I, I came to to soften on it. I love Gene Luen Yang. I think he's a great writer. I think he's perfect for this character. And uh, you know, I'm not really a huge Philip Tan fan. Uh, Always, but I thought the art in this book was great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is a buy it for me. I'm so happy that Shang Chi's kind of getting his his due uh, in comics, and I'm sure at, that it has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that there's a movie that's never going to come out. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Next up for me is the Department of Truth number one from Image. What if all conspiracy theories had the potential to be true? That's the premise behind the Department of Truth number one by current Batman writer James Tinian IV and artist Martin Simmons. Uh, I can't even really say too much about the story without spoiling something pretty major. 
But the writer does a phenomenal job setting up the unreal world in which these characters live, and especially the reaction of Agent Cole, uh, a new recruit to the department who's learning the truth for the first time. Martin Simmons' art has a very cool Rod Rice uh, mixed with Bill Sienkiewicz kind of vibe. It's scratchy and surreal at times, but he also does kind of like a lot of like almost monochrome in, on some pages, you know, where it's just like a spot color and some white. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very affected. It's almost dreamy. Like, yeah, yeah definitely. Dream-like, like they're alluding real. to something like, remember when that thing kind of happened and like, we all kind of looked at it and was like, is that right? Is that how we remember that? <laughs> well, and he does this, he does this great thing where, you know, Cole is telling a story of, about like how he came to be there. And He's talking about uh, he's at a flat earther convention investigating those lunatics and he's talking about the people at the flat earth conventions. Never seen so many polo shirts in my life. Yeah. Bunch of fat white dudes. (laughs) And then they show the guys and they all have uh, these rictus grins on their faces, but they look like they've been cut out of a magazine and glued on. Right. You know what I mean? So like the smile is a separate part of the art. It's very creepy. It's awesome. Yeah, I loved it. I love the art. Uh, there's not, there isn't really much more I can say about the story uh, because to do so would be a huge spoiler. But Tynan really hooked me with the premise, especially the reveal on the last page. I should have seen it coming based on what happened at the beginning, but I did not. I'm absolutely on board to see this creative team reveal the secret history of this world. It's completely bonkers. I loved it. Huge buy it. Yeah. The last page was so good and I did not see it coming at all. And I like put down my iPad when I was like, Oh, (laughs) I cackled. I cackled out loud (laughs) alone in my apartment. This is wonderful. This is one of the things like, Tinyan is one of the these writers that can nail something like this. And it wasn't what I thought it was going to be at all either. They, yeah, If you read yeah, the premise, real. you're like, oh, this will be fun. And like, nope, it's just scary. It's really scary. Yes, right, right. <laughs> Man, huge you know, buy it. I it love the art. Kind of, um, now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of draws on similar themes to a book that I'm going to talk about in our Comic Pusher segment. No spoilers. We'll get to it. All right. Fair enough. My next review is American Ronin, number one from AWA. This was written by Peter Milligan with art by Akko. That's capital A, capital C, capital O. I don't know if it's a person. I don't know if it's an idea. I don't know if it's a sentient computer, but I'll tell you what. It's a hell of an artist, whatever the fuck wasn't, it is. <laughs> wasn't Akko the guy that drew the Midnighter comic? We loved him, right? Uh, he's been around for a while. He's great. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, they are great. It is great. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> in the Animal, near future, vegetable or mineral, Echo is great. Right. In the near future, highly skilled, technologically enhanced operatives trained since childhood pledge their allegiance to corporations to fight to maintain financial corporate dominance. The American Ronin uses DNA to invade his target's mind, and then he kills them with psychology instead of psychological violence. Of course. He's a complete killing machine, too, when the shit comes down. But AWA finally knocks a book out of the park with Milligan's weird psychological dystopic future corporate thriller. I don't know what else to call it. (laughs) It's like you have to say that many words to describe it. Akko is just incredible on art 
with highly detailed pages full of really cool POV, very cool paneling and action that includes working as onomatopoeia directly into the panels. Dean White's colors give the book the futuristic look and feel and depth that Akko's art deserves. This was an excellent read for one of my favorite writers of the Vertigo Salad days, and I'm calling it the first win from AWA. This is a huge buy it. Yeah, I agree. This was the first AWA title that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, Peter Milligan is a writer that's pretty hit and miss uh, with me, mainly for more his more modern work, but uh, I thought this was a really cool concept. The art is fantastic. Man. Uh, like the idea of a, of a psychological assassin. Yeah. That just like plugs your DNA into his body and knows how to get into your brain and make you jump out of a right. 50 story window. But there's consequences uh, too. I mean, like it's, you have to sweat that shit off later and like, ugh, yeah, yeah. It's, gross. Uh, it's, it's really, it's a really fun idea. Uh, good job. AWA. I'll be reading more of this for sure. It's a buy it for me. Good job. Peter Milligan. AWA so far is one for like 10. So. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Next up for me, Champions, number one from Marvel. At long last, the fallout from the outlawed one-shot finally begins in Champions, number one. Eve L. Ewing is the new series writer dealing with the events of that one-shot as teen heroes are now made illegal. Of course, a lot of them don't take that lightly, especially Kamala Khan, the namesake of the law that put these characters on the wrong side of justice. Champions follows a long tradition of teen hero books that find the lead characters standing at odds with an older generation that it supposedly knows better, like my beloved New Warriors. It's a great read, and Ewing really sets up a feeling of paranoia and uncertainty as these kids struggle to figure out what to do next. Thanks to the time-displacing properties of the coronavirus pandemic, we have visuals by we-only-find-them-when-they're-dead artist Simone DeMeo. <laughs> and so, of course, they are beyond gorgeous. This book. It's probably the best the champions has ever looked. Champions number one takes the ball from the outlawed one shot and runs with it. I'm really excited to see where Marvel's teen heroes go from here. I'm giving this one a buy it. Yeah, I really like this direction too. And they're selling it really well. They could have easily done this as a stunt or something, but it feels like it's very vital to the plot. The art is just gorgeous. I'm glad that they're Bonkers. taking the champions out of the situation they were in where it's just like, we're a bunch of super kids with ridiculous technology that we probably shouldn't even have access to and way more power than we should have. And they sort of moved them back down to street level a little bit. And I hope they stay there. And I hope out of this, we get to see them training with heroes and stuff like that possibly. But this was a great start. I'm giving it a buy it as well. This is the most interested I've been in a lot of these characters. Yep. I've, I've sampled every Every time the champions has come out with a new number one, I've tried it and yeah. I've lasted a couple issues and fallen out of interest. Well, it's like they couldn't figure uh, out like, but, are we going to be a kid's book? Are we going to be a young adult book? Are we going to be a serious superhero book? And you know, it, this feels like, like you can have a serious zero. You can have a serious superhero book with teen characters. And sure. I think they nailed the tone here. That's what I'm saying. I feel like they finally found the tone they need. And even if this outlawed thing is a shtick to get this started, I'm fine with that. It's working. My next review is American Vampire, 1976, number one, from DC Black Label. It's written by Scott Snyder with art by Raphael Albuquerque and colors by Dave McKaig. The story flashes back to 1976, America's bicentennial, and things are a lot like they are today. 
The president's criminal, the economy's in the toilet, and as Snyder writes, Russia is handing us our balls. <laughs> Skinner is back and riding motorcycles as an evil Knievel homage, but he's not the vamp he used to be. Travis Kidd and some other old friends are here too for what looks like a full am vamp reunion, complete with a train robbery. <laughs> It's been 10 years since the American oh, Vampire series first hit stands as a Vertigo book. This new issue reminded me of what I loved about the series and how much of it I've actually missed. Snyder's story is solid enough to make me want to revisit the chapters I didn't quite finish and didn't leave me asking too many questions. The art team is just amazing as usual, and they are showing off here. Albuquerque very subtly alters his style to give the book a 70s Steve McQueen movie kind of look, and McKegg's colors bring this grindhouse vamp story home. It is nice to see Snyder doing stuff like this instead of Batman Death Metal Volume 10 Part 90. I'm giving this a buy it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I was going to give this a skim it only because... I was so confused by the state of the characters that I felt like I had missed entire volumes of American Vampire. I mean, uh, it's been 10 years and there's been a lot of series. No, I get it. And know? I know that I've missed some of it, but like I was so lost at the beginning. I however, was too. I was too. However, at the end, I was hooked right back in as, you know, like you said, familiar familiar faces kept popping up right and they um, say little it, things that just like oh would that lead you to go okay i missed that i would like to go yeah. back and see what happened with yeah, yeah. that exactly you exactly know? right and you know especially that last page with the uh final return of an old character i was like oh now I, that is something that like i and i read some what some other people had said about the book that is something everyone's like whoa what the hell yeah yeah right like so i'm like i i definitely need to know what's going on yeah. with that um yeah i i love american vampire i've loved it for 10 years i love it still today and yeah i was a little lost because i i i lost the plot for a while but I'm right back in it. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah. It was great. This made me want to go back and read it all. It really did. And maybe it's just because I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, Scott Snyder's a good writer. I forgot. Like they, He can be. He doesn't just, like, piss me off. <laughs> when he wants to be. <laughs> Finally this week, it's Transformers Back to the Future, number one from IDW. IDW's policy of unlikely property mashups continues with this first issue it finds marty mcfly in a familiar situation uh, as the autobots and decepticons are observing his first trip through the time stream as seen in back to the future part one uh, that can't be the end of it of course so after marty goes to sleep in uh the uh let's call it the updated 1985 you know where biff's a schmuck and his right. parents are successful he awakens to find that the world has drastically changed yet again in a very surprising, upsetting way. <laughs> Writer Kavan Scott's script is full of fun nods to the Back to the Future trilogy, up to and including accidents with fertilizer. The art by Juan Samu is over-the-top cartoony in a really fun way. I've never uh, seen uh, his art before. I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, I don't know the name. Transformers Back to the Future, number one. It's a really stupid idea. I'm not even going to lie. But you know what? It's no dumber than Transformers My Little Pony. I thought it was executed in a really enjoyable fashion. And I have to admit, 
I liked it a lot and I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, every time we go into one of these, I say to myself, okay, this is the one. This is where it's going to completely fall down. Now, sure, to be fair, yeah. Transformers Terminator was really stupid. So, but the rest of them, uh, they're not all winners. Have been shockingly good, and yeah. I got to say, this had no business being as good as it was. Yeah, it's like it, when Stars when Starscream uh, no spoilers about what's going on in the world, but Starscream shows up and Biff is there being Biff and Starscream gives Biff the uh, hello knucklehead thing with the noogies or whatever. <laughs> like that really got me. I was like, that's yeah. really funny. This guys. was stupid fun and yeah. I'm giving it a bite as well. The best thing to come out of this is they partnered with Hasbro and there is a DeLorean transformer named Gigawatt and it's kick ass. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty damn cool, guys. I need it. Yeah. So, Joe Patrick, which book wins? What is your book of the week? Oh, man. All right. Um, you know what? I liked most of my books. Uh, I think I'm going to give it to Department of Truth, though. I love Department of the Truth. It, I, I thought it was fantastic, but I was so blown away by X of Swords and what they set up there. I am so excited to read more of this. I loved it. I just think because you're a corporate shill. I think it was momentous. I like for as far as momentous. like huge X stories. I've never read an X story this big and this insane. And I'm super excited for it. It gets my book of the week. Zakak. That does it for reviews this week. And Zakak is the sound of Krakoa firing eye beams. At the X-Men, as seen in the pages of Giant Size X-Men, colon, tribute to Len Wein and Dave Cockrum. Uh, I'm sure it was all a big misunderstanding. They're great friends now. Yeah, same with Unis the Untouchable. They're bros now. I mean, it's all yeah, good. Yeah, it's total, total bros. Yeah. Uh, this onomatopoeia of the week comes courtesy of at ComicBookFX on Twitter. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week for the show, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet... Do what Joe Benkis has done in the past. Hugo Taverdic. Legends in their own time. It's true. Call us. Make the noise. Tell us where it came from, and we will play it on the show. That's it for reviews. Now it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where now the COVID numbers are rising, we have hermetically sealed the joint and we'll be binging on Ultra Force reruns on Amazon Prime. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. It's there. Be oh, I go I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Because it's the only app I remembered to allow through our firewall before sealing ourselves in here. So. <laughs> Way to go. Joe, while I try to talk this coughing mole man on the other side of the barrier through some firewall permissions, why don't you tell the nerds about your pick for next week? Okay, my pick is Commanders in Crisis, number one from Image Comics. It's written by Steve Orlando with art by David Tinto. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. The last survivors of the multiverse live among us under new superheroic identities. Five survivors of doomed worlds taking a second chance to ensure our world lives on. A new twist on strange superhero comics with a bleeding edge eye on the modern moment. Commanders in Crisis follows in the footsteps of Doom Patrol and Thunderbolts as five unexpected heroes come together to solve a murder unlike any other. The victim? 
compassion itself. What? This is idea side. Oh, wow. <laughs> what happened wow, to Steve we... Orlando? Where did that guy go? I feel like he was a rising star. He worked on Wonder Woman for a while. He worked on, uh, he did like the Midnighter his, book that we liked. Apollo and the Midnighter book. His run book. on Wonder Woman wasn't that long ago. Yeah, but I mean, all of a sudden he's just gone. Well, he's, he's doing his own thing. He's I, doing his creator own work. Fair now. enough. I'm just saying he's not doing any DC stuff all of a sudden. He was on like four books. I don't know. I don't they know. fired everybody at DC. That's true. Uh, I'm not going to read this second paragraph. You nah, get it. No. Nah. Um, this sounded like fun when I first read the announcement. Uh, it's yeah, it's basically like multiverse versions of the characters we know coming together on a world that survived and trying to keep it from from crisis, basically <laughs> from crisis. Um, and uh, yeah, I love it. Uh, the art looks great. I love Steve Orlando. This sounds like a winner to me. Steve Orlando is a complete badass. He really is. He's a fantastic writer. And yeah, I'm looking forward to this. He needs more work. My pick for next week, Warhammer 40,000, Marnus Calgar, number one of five from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Jason Burroughs. It is 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. In the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. The saga of Warhammer 40,000 comes to Marvel Comics. Marnus Calgar, the legendary chapter master of the Ultramarines, leads his elite space marines against humanity's greatest threats in a galaxy engulfed in endless war. Now, witness Marnus Calgar's never-before-told origin story, from his beginnings on Nova Thulium, to his campaigns in the Black Crusades, and to the unfolding mystery of the Black Altar, as... Pardon me. As a deadly threat from his past re-emerges to threaten the present of Ultramar, this all-new tale is a central reading for 40k aficionados. That's me. As well as a perfect primer to the world of Warhammer 40,000. That's for Joe. For those new to the universe, see the Ultramarines in glorious combat, the strife between the worlds of the Imperium, and witness the larger-than-life characters who preside over it all. This is but the first foray into the larger darkness that is to come from Warhammer and Marvel Comics. Be prepared. Kieran Gillen totally wrote that. So (laughs) many titles. Kieran Gillen absolutely wrote that. And just reading that, all I can hear is grindcore playing in the background and blood and guts and bullets and explosions and, and blood and guts. Oh my God. I love Warhammer 40,000 so much. It is the bleakest, darkest vision of the future that exists. And I cannot wait for this. There are sounds, no good guys. <laughs> it sounds punishing. But oh my I'll, God. I'll I'm so excited. The THN trade of the week goes to Dracula, motherfucker. Ugh. It's a hardcover that, from Image Comics. Goddamn title. It gets me every time. <laughs> it's written by Alex DeCampi with art by Erica Henderson. It's 72 pages for $16.99, but, you know, it's a hardcover. Sure. Whatever. That's not bad at all. 72 pages? Come on. Yeah, you know, it's not nothing. Vienna, 1889. Dracula's brides nail him to the bottom of his coffin. Bitches. Los Angeles. 1974, an aging starlet decides to raise the stakes. Crime scene photographer Quincy Harker is the only man who knows it happened, but will anyone believe him before he gets his own chalk outline? And are Dracula's three brides there to help him or use him as bait? It's a pulpy, pulpy, pulse-pounding graphic novel of California psych horror from acclaimed creators Alex Campy and Eric Henderson. Uh, I love it. They've been screaming about this for a while. Alex DeCampi writes great 
like trashy, oh, yeah. grindhousey, noir shit. I love it. They've I love been it. screaming I love about this one for a while. I think this started on Kickstarter. Where and it like blew oh, maybe it blew past like all its goals and now it's finally coming out. It looks fantastic. Alistair can't be so good at this shit. And uh, I can't the title alone, yeah. Take my money. I'm in. You got yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> and Erica Henderson is amazing. You know, she was on she was on Squirrel Girl for so long, and it's easy to kind of pigeonhole her in that genre. Mm-hmm. But then she drew Assassination. Uh, for image, which is phenomenal, and starred characters named Fuck Tarkington <laughs> uh, or Fuck Tarleton. Either way, it's great. Um, and yeah, she's an amazing artist, and she should be right at home with this sort of thing. I think this is going to be an outstanding comic book. I hope the name was Fuck Tarkington because it's really close. I think it was Fuck. It's Tarkington. really close to like beloved quarterback Fran Tarkington, and I like to imagine sure, like, like his grandson's fuck. <laughs> Of course, we want to hear about what you will be reading next week when you put your mask on and go to your local comic book shop and wash your hands after you leave and play it cool. So don't forget to add these comics to your pull list so you can play along and do your LCS a favor too. And remember, check our Twitter and our Faces book to see our weekly reading list every week. I said week twice in one sentence because I'm not very good at Week, week, week. Uh, confirmed his name was Fuck Tarkington. That's awesome. The comic pushers are back, but thanks to tough copyright laws on Apple, they don't rap anymore. Sorry. But they do still suggest highly addictive comics for your young, impressionable minds, and the side effects include a lifetime of escapist literature reading a mild toy addiction, and some revisiting of old cartoons. This week, our buddy Ryan Hebrews Mount asked us for some suggestions in MP3 format via TwoHeadedNerd.com. Take it away, Hebrews. Hey, this is Ryan Mount, a.k.a. Hebrews, calling in. What's a really good, well-written James Tinney in the fourth book? Sorry, that's my baby in the background. Um... I was just thinking, I know he's got a new book out this week, but he's a name that I just see now, and it's almost like a stay away. It's not that he's bad, it just is nothing interesting. He kind of falls into that Christos Gage. For a while there, Christos Gage, and I loved his post-human uh, wild storm stuff, but after a while, he was just the fill-in guy. If you needed the story to move along, that's who you got in, and I think James Tidian's pretty much on the same career path. But is there a book that I'm missing that really captures what he's great at? Or is he just kind of in there and he's always going to be that fill-in type guy? All right. Thanks so much. Later, nerds. This isn't the first time I've heard uh, people expressing dissatisfaction with his writing, with I James Tynan's writing. I just, I don't understand. And, <laughs> I... I think that he maybe has gotten a reputation as a company man, you know? I think he has. He's the yeah. writer. He's the writer that comes in, he picks up he picks up after somebody else's run and it you know, it's kind of like his Batman is kind of more of the same. I think he is to DC what Cullen Bunn is to Marvel. Yes, you know, your Cullen Bunns, uh yeah. your yeah, uh 
Um, in you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, Christos Gage is a good example as in well. In that same exact you way, know, though, I would argue that we both agree Cullen Bunn, when he is writing his own stuff, is friggin' exceptional. And that's why all of my examples are for indie books that James Tynan has written. I personally like his superhero work. Uh, usually, I'm not really keen on the Batman universe right now. Um, I, I, you I know, loved... I asked you before his... You, got started. Let's talk about his Batman real quick before we get into it. Because I asked you before you got started. I'm not up to date. And I know you're not. I am. And I think it is the strongest of the Batman titles right now. And I mean, that's probably not hard. It's not too hard, but it is solid. It's it's pretty damn solid. And like this punchline thing was kind of a joke for a while there. But I will say I ended up liking that character way more than I thought I would. And she's not just another Harley Quinn. And which yeah. she very easily could have been if they wanted to play off that. But he did a really nice job with that character. And I don't think like I flipped, I flipped through Batman 100. I, I liked uh, I liked what it, what I saw with what was going on with Harley and, and what happened with Punchline. But I mean, I think it's hard to argue that like right now, DC's mandate is Batman, Batman, Batman. The bigger the event, the better, the oh, bigger, yeah. the better, the bigger, yeah. the better. And so, yeah, James Tynion is like, yep, he's the go to guy. He's the guy you go to when you need that sort of well, thing. He's to the guy, I would argue he's the guy that is telling the straightforward Batman story right now while yeah. Batman is writing robot Tyrannosaurus Rexes in other books. So let's not, I don't even <laughs> consider that to be Batman. I don't even want to talk about that. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I, I will say, um, I did really like his uh, early run on Detective Comics right after DC Rebirth. Oh, yeah. It was great. When Detective Comics was rebranded as a team book. Yes. and uh, Where Batman assembled a group of uh, Bat family characters. Uh, so there was Batman and uh, Batwoman and... Uh, 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 well, Batman wasn't even really in the book. It was Batwoman. It was Tim Drake. It was Red, Red Robin, right? Red, um, can't remember what they were called. Orphan, I think they were calling her at the time. Cassandra Kane. That name is so stupid. It's so stupid. Um, but yeah, Cassandra Kane. Signal. Spoiler shows up. Signal was there. Um, spoiler was there. It was Clayface. Fucking Clayface yeah, was in Clayface it. Clayface was the uh, muscle. Luke Fox on the team. was in it. It was so friggin' good. Oh man, and that, like that was a great run. And I did. I fell off of that, but that's only because. DC insisted on putting every comic book that they published out a thousand times a month. Yeah. And I couldn't keep up. But, uh, so that, but that's not my recommendation. My first recommendation for a really great James Tynan book is something is killing the children. Yes. Boom studios. Something is killing the children, uh, is this great psychological horror series. Here's a, a bit of the solicit. When the children of Archer's Peak begin to go missing, everything seems hopeless. The few children that return alive have terrible stories, impossible details of terrifying creatures that live in the shadows. Their only hope is the arrival of a mysterious stranger, one who believes the children and claims to be the only one, the only adult who can see what they see. Her name is Erica Slaughter, and she kills monsters. Yeah. That's all she does. And she bears the cost because it must be done. It that is such a great synopsis. It's a great and Erica book Slaughter. Too. Erica Slaughter is a fucking badass. She wears this bandana mask with a monster teeth on the front of it. It's terrifying. And yeah, so this is such a great series about this plague of monsters that nobody can see but kids. 
And so there are dead bodies popping up everywhere. And the cops are like, you guys, what the fuck is happening? What happened to your friend? And the kids are like, he was eaten. I swear to God, he was eaten by a monster. And she's the only one that believes them. And uh, she teams up with one of the survivors to hunt down these monsters. It's amazing. You know what it is? The art is by... It's Tim Seeley's hack slash done right is what it is. Say that again. It's Tim Seeley's hack slash done right. Yeah. Yes. Kind of. Uh, you know, it's, it's not so much about the wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, final girl trope. And the look at my panties stuff. (laughs) Sure. Right. Yeah. There's no like upskirt shots. Uh, the art is by Werther Deletera and it's moody and gritty and gory and gross. It's a phenomenal read. It's available on Comixology. Uh, there's at least one trade of it out right now. Uh, I know I'm looking at it on Amazon. I'm sure you can get it from your local comic shop. But yeah, something is killing the children. It's one of my favorite things that he's ever done. It's so good. Uh, my first pick is The Woods, which is another similar toned book in the sense that it centers around a bunch of kids. The premise is on October 16th, 2013, 437 students, 52 teachers, and 24 additional staff from Bay Point Preparatory High School in suburban Milwaukee, Wisconsin vanished without a trace. Countless light years away, far outside the bounds of the charted universe, 513 people find themselves in the middle of an ancient primordial wilderness. Where are they? Why are they there? The answers will prove stranger than anyone could possibly imagine. This is such a fantastic sort of like lost story where you took an entire high school and it was transported to an alien world. They have no idea why, no idea what they're doing there. And we learn stuff about these different characters who may or may not have been like misfits when they were growing up in high school. And they are proving I can help us survive here. And with this knowledge that we have, we can work together or we can break apart. And it is wonderful. Michael Dianalis, is that how he says? Dialinus? Dialinus is the artist and the art is absolutely beautiful. The Woods was also boom, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think you're right. Right. Yeah, I think he kind of does all his creator stuff at, at creator own stuff at Boom. Like, <laughs> yeah, because my second book is also from Boom. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure he does. The only image book that I can think of him really doing is this new Department of Truth book, which is also fantastic. I think it's we his image it debut. Yeah, check out the Woods. It is excellent stuff, and I believe there are three trades in print right now. From Diamond. it ran for twenty something issues. Yeah. yeah. It's also, uh, there's also like, I believe FX has, is, I don't know if they're making a TV series, but I know they optioned. Yeah. Optioned it. Uh, my second recommendation is also kind of along the horror genre. Uh, that's kind of a theme here. He's really good at it. Uh, it's memetic from boom studios. It was created by James Tynan with artist, Eric Donovan, and it was published by boom in three oversized issues in 2014 or started in 2014. And the plot basically is a viral sensation, a a, a viral meme that basically drives the populace crazy uh, as they see and hear it. And the protagonist of the series is a, uh, is a young college kid named Aaron 
who is colorblind and has to wear hearing aids. So he's immune to it. And as uh, so each issue takes place over the course of a day. And it's just like, what is this meme doing to people on earth? And it is, it doesn't end with him turning into terrifying rage monsters. Uh, <laughs> it starts there and then it gets gross. <laughs> um, and I don't want to spoil it because it is bizarre. Uh, it's, it's such a wonderful little like short commitment, uh, you know, three issue story uh, that's got a beginning, middle and end. They did a follow-up. Uh, they did a follow-up series uh, that I neglected to uh, write down, but it's a similar format with a similar title. It's not a sequel. It's, outstanding eric donovan's art is is awesome it's gross and if you like horror and like psychological like it's sort of like um it's like cloverfield horror right where yeah. it's like yeah something terrible is happening we have no idea what we have no idea why all we can do is try not to get killed <laughs> and and so it's that sort of like reaction horror where there there's no like and then they make it to the CDC and find out what caused the zombie plague. Right. No. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not about that. It's about this kid trying to survive with his friends. Uh, it's it was an awesome read and probably one of my earlier introductions to James Tynan. It came out in 2014. Uh, also, um, Seth Rogen is adapting it for TV. Yes, it did get optioned for TV and it's. It's just a really fun little short story. I hope Seth Rogen uh, sticks closer to recommend. this than he did his preacher work. So we'll see. <laughs> well, you know, people like that book, that series. They just, it just wasn't the show or it just wasn't the same as the book. So my final James Tinian pick is Batman centric. And it is the, the three part Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story that he did with IDW. It's James Tinian and Freddie Williams on illustration. Freddie Williams is so friggin' good. This is yes. another case of a book having no business being good whatsoever. And when I picked this to review it, I couldn't wait to slaughter it. And if you go back and listen to my review, I glowed of this book. It was so much fun to read. And the setup was really good. Dynamite constantly does this thing where it's like, oh, uh, John, whatever, John Carson of Mars, uh, like steps in the wrong pool of water and gets transported to Tarzan's world for no reason. And they team up and they fight, you know. No, this was really well thought out. There's a really good reason why the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are in Gotham. There's a really good reason why Batman is like, okay, there's four Ninja Turtles running around Gotham. Somebody has to do something about that. <laughs> and, this, and there are three volumes of it. There's three volumes of it, and they're all yeah. great. I read all of them, and then I bought the action figures that were spawned from them that look like Freddie Williams' drawings, and they're amazing. <laughs> I loved uh, this storyline. Loved it. Freddie, Freddie Williams III literally wrote the book about digital art. Oh, really? Um, yes, he's one of the... Um, I mean, digital, digital art has been around for a long time, but sure. uh, he was one of the first guys that I remember reading about really embracing the potential of digital art tools. I did not know that. 
and he wrote a book about it and and I bought it and it's great. He's he is wonderful. He's a stupid talented guy. The the thing that I most appreciated about this is Tinyan could have just crapped this out. And it would have sold. It had Batman on the cover. It had Teenage Mutant yeah. Ninja Turtles on the cover. But you can tell he legitimately loves both characters. And he yes. put real thought into it. He put real emotion into all the characters. And this holds up just as well as like the other, you know, IDW, TMNT stuff that we constantly review and go, oh my God, I can't believe how good this is. I love this series. I challenge you to read it and tell me it's bad. It, this yeah. is a ton of fun. Yep. It's, it is, it's, it's, you know, we say this sort of thing on the show all the time. It's better than it has any right to be. It absolutely uh, is. I mean, it, it's written from an adult perspective from, he's obviously a guy that's probably about our age that grew up with yeah. these characters and always wanted to see them handled a certain way. And then he got a chance to, and he did not disappoint. Man, I love this book. Totally agree. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, a fun fact about Mimetic that uh, I just happened to notice on its Wikipedia page. Uh, our good friend Chase Magnet is quoted in the Wikipedia article. Uh, his review of Mimetic number three. Okay, hold on. Uh, Anybody can go in and make those edits. Do we know that Chase didn't go in and throw his own quote in there? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. this is a, This is a section about the reception to the book and it features quotes from several websites. I'm just saying chase could have asked. I mean, chase chase is the review editor for comicbook.com. It's one of the largest review sites on. Fair enough. Okay. So someone plucked it and put it in there. Okay. Yes. I know that he could have Matt. I don't think that he did. Okay. To answer your question. Like, let me put Uh, mine in there real quick. (laughs) Matt bombs. (laughs) It says, uh, it commends the twist in the final issue saying that quote, it adds to both the joy and terror of the series, end quote, and I must agree. If you want to check out the Batman storyline, we're talking about Detective, Rise of the Batman, Volume 1, is a trade paperback you want to look for, 2017, still in print, fantastic Bat stuff. Uh, yeah, it collects Detective Comics 934 through 940, and it's highly recommended. Oh, man, it was so good. It felt like a Bat X team. I loved it. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So there are five... James Tinian books that we just gushed all over for you to check out. So let's hear what you got, Hebrews. I dare you to read some of these and tell us they're bad. I want to hear from you. Call us on cover to cover. Let us know what you think of some of these. I don't care if you're broke right now. Go out and steal them if you have to. Whatever. But we would like to hear from you. Do you need suggestions for some comics you want to read? Tell us what you're into. Tell us what you want to try. Maybe you want to dip your toes into some horror. Or perhaps uh, you're looking for a good kung fu book. We're your guys. Hit us up. Shoot us an MP3. Shoot us an email. Drop us a line on any of our social media, and the comic pushers will get you heavily addicted to some comic book reads. Excelsior! (laughs) That is it for THN 592. Next week, the Cosmic Longbox returns, and since it's almost Halloween... We're reviewing ghost stories, and we're going to review Dracula, motherfucker, our pick that we made for the trade of the week next week. So tune in, tune out. So tune in and check it out. Tune in, turn on, drop out. Yeah, something like that. that Until then, Joe Patrick, give these nerds a new question of the week, please. 
This week's question was submitted by us. What are your favorite and least favorite costume redesigns in comic books? You know what we're talking about. Black costume Spidey. Black costume Superman. Yeah, electric and, blue Superman. And not like a one-issue thing. We, it had to stick around for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I don't mean like, oh, now Iron Man's got more dongles on his belt. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. No. No. Redesigns. Good ones. Like a, like a Bad ma- ones. Like, if you want to say Iron Man 2020 with the huge-ass gears, okay. Counts. Fine. I'll give yeah. you that one. We've seen it twice now. <laughs> so. uh, now, we are in need of new question of the week suggestions. So please, please, please hit us up on the forums. Email me. You know how to get a hold of us. Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 10.30 live on the Facebook page. And it is the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You could be internet famous, but please remember to keep it to two minutes or less so that we can share the air. If you're new to the show and you would rather watch the super boring educational cartoons that have replaced the kick-ass Saturday morning cartoons of old than listen to us or join us for cover to cover. I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com but hosting that many shows, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Amy from North Dakota. Where is she gone? Amy used to call. She used to hang out. Now she's, I mean like, if she just wants to throw money from a distance, I'll take it. But I would love she to She still interacts her. on the Facebook. Okay. I would just like yeah. to hear from her. We miss you, Amy. That's all I'm saying. I understand. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Eddie Van Halen, who died yesterday at age 65. Van Halen 1984 was the first record I ever bought with my own money. And Eddie's guitar work was my first face melting experience. You are a shredder of the first order, sir. And we raise our devil horns to your hammer ons and your slide work. We lost a titan of guitar rock yesterday. Ugh, kills me. It's it's true. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just steal your diver down 12-inch. This is a two-headed nerd signing off.